welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The momentum for large-scale developments continue to threaten documented cultural sites around the country. A large highway project in California is halted for the time being after workers discovered remains of ancestors. Tribes warned about the likelihood of buried remains decades ago. And in Miami, luxury apartments will soon be built on top of what was likely one of the city's first settlements. We'll learn more about these projects and others right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Vice President Kamala Harris visited the Gila River Indian community last week. This was the first time in the tribe's history a sitting vice president had been to the community. Harris expressed the administration's commitment to Arizona's 22 federally recognized tribes, including Gila River. President Joe Biden and I believe that the bonds between our nations are sacred, and we believe we have a duty to safeguard and strengthen those bonds, to uphold our trust and treaty obligations, to honor tribal sovereignty, and to ensure tribal self-determination. President Biden and I also believe that we have a duty, a duty to address the deep disparities that persist across Indian country. Harris was also brought up to speed about Grick's water pipeline project, which will help ensure communities receive reliable access to clean water and reduce Colorado River usage. Harris expressed her concern of climate change affecting Native communities. And in order to create enduring solutions to the climate crisis, we must then rely on the knowledge and the experience of Native communities. And that is why we are investing billions of dollars to help fund Native-led not native consulted, native led climate resilient infrastructure projects like the projects you are leading here at Gila River. The tribe's water pipeline project is expected to be completed in 2024. Last week in California, tribal leaders, law enforcement, and state lawmakers gathered to learn how a new tool, the Feather Alert, will work to help law enforcement quickly notify the public about missing Native Americans. This tool was authored by Assemblymember James Ramos in January. In April, the Round Valley Indian tribes declared a state of emergency after two of their members were found murdered. The Yurok tribe issued a similar declaration last year. In a statement, Ramos said it gets too easy to cite these staggering statistics. He's gratified that the governor approved the bill to help stop violence afflicting California's Native American communities. Ramos went on to say the Feather Alert will aid law enforcement and families in getting the word out quickly when a Native individual is missing or endangered by alerting the public in a broad and effective manner. He says creating an alert or advisory system was a top recommendation from tribal leaders last year for dealing with a disproportionate number of missing Native Americans, particularly women and girls. During the gathering, it was explained how to activate the Feather Alert and the criteria to be met in order to activate it. The missing person needs to be an Indigenous person. The local law enforcement agency also must determine that the person has gone missing under unexplained or suspicious circumstances, and the person is believed to be in danger because of age, health, or in the company of a potentially dangerous person. In California, the Feather Alert joins the Amber Alert, which is used when children 17 and younger are missing or abducted. The Blue Alert, an alert that notifies the public when a suspect in the assault or killing of a police officer remains at large and the search is active. 
and the silver alert, which notifies the public of elderly, developmentally, or cognitively impaired persons that go missing and are determined to be at risk. These other special notifications are overseen by the CHP. The Red Lake Nation in Minnesota is gearing up for an annual run formerly called the Sobriety Run. This year, the 25th event focuses on healing, wellness, and recovery. It's sponsored by the Red Lake Chemical Health Programs. The Leech Lake Chemical Dependency and the Mashkawisson Treatment Center of Sawyer, Minnesota will also co-sponsor the event on August 2nd. The 200-mile journey will begin with an opening ceremony and remarks. The runners will carry eagle staffs into the sobriety powwow arena in the Mashkawisson Treatment Center. Using the Native American Medicine Wheel as a guide, this year's participants will carry a message of running for 25 years to raise awareness for healing, wellness, and recovery. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The second annual Nakota Lawrence Youth Hoop Dance Championship comes to Santa Fe's Museum of Indian Arts and Culture August 5th and 6th. Registration for Native Hoop Dancers up to 26 years old open through August 3rd at lightningboyfoundation.com who support this show. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education sovereignty, it begins with us. Early bird registration is July 28th at NIEA.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. In California, a multi-million dollar highway project is halted after workers uncovered ancestors along the planned route. Paiute and other tribes in the area long ago warned about the dangers of excavating there. Nestled along the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada range, the area holds major cultural significance, including history as the route of the tribe's forced removal. In Miami, Florida, excavation for a planned luxury high-rise unearthed human remains, pottery shards, and other objects. City officials voted to move ahead with the project despite concerns from members of Seminole and Miccosukee tribes. Today on our show, we'll discuss both projects and concerns over consultation and development. And we encourage you to join the conversation. Do these projects remind you of a construction development in your own community, either recently or in the past? Tell us about it at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Or you can post on any of our social media pages, such as Facebook and Instagram. We have four guests on our show today. First, joining us from Lone Pine, California, is Kathy Bancroft. She is the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer and a member of the Lone Pine Paiute Shoshone Tribe. Kathy, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Joining us from Big Pine, California, is Danelle Gutierrez. She's a tribal historic preservation officer and member of the Big Pine Paiute Tribe of the Owens Valley. Danelle, welcome to our show, and please feel free to further introduce yourself. Manahu and uh, Manahuba for inviting us to be part of the show. 
And I'm the Tipo for the Big Pine Paiute Tribe, traditionally known as Tovo Bahamatu. And I am also, um, my mom is from the Katsitikas, the Mono Lake, the Vining Tribe here in California, where they're still trying to get federally recognized, and their bill is in office right now. Danielle, thank you for providing that additional information about yourself and your family. Our third guest is joining us from Florida. His name is Robert Rosa, and he's the president of the American Indian Movement Florida chapter and chairman of the Florida Indigenous Alliance. He is Taino. Robert, welcome to the show as well. Hello. Hello, Robert. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. You bet, you bet. And our fourth guest is also in Florida. Joining us from the Brighton Reservation is Martha Tommy. She is an American Indian Movement Florida chapter member, and she's a member of the Seminole Tribe of Florida and the Deer Clan. Martha, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to join. Great, great. Well, folks, let's go ahead and get this conversation started. And Kathy, please kick us off today and tell us more about this highway project there in California. And what are your biggest concerns going forward? Okay, I've, uh, our tribe has been involved in this pro project for over 30 years. So uh, they've talked about having this this highway go through here. It's always been a question of where are you going to put it. We do have a highway. It's a two-lane highway. They need to make it into a four-lane expressway is what they're calling it. And that's the concern because where do you put a four-lane highway in an area that is very sensitive and not a whole lot of wiggle room? So that's always been the question. They started having public meetings and the tribe entered uh, what I guess you could call Section 106 consultation with um, with the um, Federal Highways um, Administration and Caltrans, and that was uh, five tribes, and it was Lone Pine, Paisa Reservation, Fort Independence Tribe, Big Pine Tribe, Bishop Tribe, and Timbisha, and we all entered a consultation, had several meetings, but they absolutely went nowhere. And then they disappeared, the funding disappeared, and then it came back in 2019. And um, <clears throat> that's when um, they started uh, the project. They, we had some talks before we, they started construction. We talked about how sensitive this area is, how we weren't gonna settle for no monitors and the usual uh, way they carry out business. But um, we had always warned them about how sensitive this area is, and they chose to ignore that along with several other things. And so we, we uh, started construction about a year and a half, two years ago, and um, as they've gotten closer and closer to this area, it's just become more planic. And finally, they just said, we're gonna plow up these burials, and we just said, no, you're not. And asked for public support and reached out to the public and um, hopefully we're going somewhere from here. Well, tell us more, Kathy, about the history of this area. I understand there was a forced removal there at one point. Yeah, that's um, th this area, my people, and, and I always tell people I'm so lucky because my people have lived in, in this valley 
since the beginning of time. And um, I wake up every morning and look at the same thing my ancestors looked at. I um, uh, have that connection to this land because all of my ancestors um, clear down to my parents and great and grandparents are buried in this land. So this land is very sacred to all of us and we're gonna do everything we can. The area of concern is a very sacred area because of things that are there and things that have happened there. Uh, you mentioned the Force March, which is interesting because today is the 160th anniversary, which isn't that long ago, when they took a thousand people out of this valley and marched them all the way to over <clears throat> by Fort Dahone, which is south of Bakersfield, if any of you know this area, um, on this day in the middle of July, it's not pleasant around here. It's very hot. And that was a long walk. Uh, a lot of people didn't make it. A lot of people were killed on the way. And <clears throat> I'm proud to say that I'm descended from a person as a child escaped from there and came all the way home. And so that's how much this place means to us. That's one of the things um, that make this route so important, and along with all the other history in this valley that we've been a heart, uh, part of forever. And we're being bombarded with projects. This highway project is one of them. We have the Owens Lake Dust Mitigation Project, which is uh, impacting uh, another huge part of our valley where because the city of Los Angeles takes our water. We have mining operations trying to move in and destroy our hills. Um, and then another dam project, they're replacing a dam. So we're really bombarded, but this highway project is right now taking priority just because of the fact that they do not care about our family's remains that they say just, I'm sorry, they're in our way, we gotta move them. And we just said, no, you're not. And that's where we are right now. Well, Kathy, going back to the project and how it's now on, it's been halted. And it sounds like this has just been a really tough fight from the very beginning, going back decades. So what do you think made the difference? Why were you folks able to effectively get them to stop work on the project, at least temporarily? Um, that's interesting because the, the entire part of the project is 12 miles long, a little over 12 miles long. And they have at different times said, oh yeah, we're stopped, we're doing, but we never saw construction stop. We never saw um, um, anything um, of the sort because they actually in speeded up construction when we asked them to stop. They. Um, when we re they realized how important it was and we were getting public pressure, they did, st we only asked them to stop work in about two and a half miles of the whole project area because this was the area of, of extreme concern. They could not even do that. They stopped work, they said, in about a half mile of that area, went around it, but they were still bringing traffic through. They were still impacting it in many ways and yet they were telling people that they were stopped. And so it was around then that we found out, and the only way we got them to do that was by bringing in the LA Times and, 
and getting other people. And we said, we don't like to tell people about our sacred places, about where our burials are, because then they're destroyed. But you have our back against the wall. What else can we do but bring in help to get you guys to stop? Because you're mm-hmm. going to do it anyway. And so that's when we just got tough. And we found the California Transportation Commission just by um, sheer luck and public pressure, public knowledge. And, and that's what made the difference because the Caltrans was asking for an additional over $7 million to finish this project. And we got on that meeting and um, let them know what was going on. And they said, that's a different story than what Caltrans is telling us. And so that's where it went. And so in order for them to get that extra funding, they agreed to stop in the entire two and a half mile stretch, which they've been pretty good about so far. We're talking with Kathy Bancroft. She's a tribal historic preservation officer with the Lone Pine Paiute and Shoshone tribe. And we're learning all about this big, big major highway project in California. And uh, it's been halted. And it's been halted because workers uncovered human remains along the planned route. We're going to learn more about the consultation process or lack thereof, and also what's in store and what's going to happen next. And is this a a temporary shutdown or is it going to be more long lasting? We'll find out some of those questions and more here on Native America Calling right after this short break. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you've got thoughts about this project in California or perhaps a project in your community, similar in nature or scope, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Business growth is the lifeblood of tribal economies. Every day, tribes are shoring up businesses, both big and small, to keep their bottom lines healthy. We'll get some examples of economic development success stories that go back into broadening tribal strength and influence. That's on the next Native America Calling. From round dance to exhibition dance, you always come prepared. Why not do the same with your health? Schedule your wellness visits and never miss a beat. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov coverage or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're hearing from tribes in California about a halted highway project that unearthed human remains. One note, we did reach out to the California Department of Transportation. A spokesman said they didn't want to comment on ongoing talks with tribes. Today, we'll also hear about a project in Miami that presents a similar conflict between development and important cultural places. And please, I encourage you, join our conversation. What would you think if a highway department or a company started building something, a structure or a road, and suddenly found human remains, members of your tribe, ancestors of your own cultural heritage? What would you do? What would you think? What would you say? Let us know at one 800 996 That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. 
Our next guest, Danelle Gutierrez, is also a Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. She's with the Big Pine Paiute Tribe of the Owens Valley, who also has a vested interest in this project, this highway project in California. And Danelle, earlier we heard from Kathy talking about the consultation process. It sounds like it was difficult to engage with state officials and others. What's been your view overall of this consultation process? Well, as we know, in Indian country, tribal consultation doesn't work. It's primarily a checkbox for agencies to check off to state. We have met with tribes. We've discussed this project with them. They discuss it, but they don't hear us. And um, we need to be included in the project designs beforehand. We could have saved a lot of our areas out there, um, like right now. They're saying, well, we changed our design in this one area only at the asking of the tribes. They've done that. And they thought, you know, oh, okay, well, we did it this. You know, we, we did what you wanted, but can you imagine if we would have been included throughout the project design from the beginning? We are the people of these lands. We don't sit in an office 100 miles away and make a design of a plan of a highway on a computer, you know. So it's like meant so many resources out there. Um, it's not only our culture resources and our sacred burials, but it's also our medicines, the endangered desert tortoises, the Joshua trees, the Mojave red squirrels, and um, the butterflies that pollinate the Joshua trees, they're going extinct too. And that's another issue that's being battled is, you know, is the Joshua trees within our area. And um, this is it, this area is an ecosystem that needs to be handled delicately. Mm -hmm. and, and this area is already trying to survive climate change. You know, not only that, but the overpumping of LEDWP with our, our water, our water tables, you know, our groundwater. It's bad enough our surface water is going, but now they are also overpumping us. And that's another issue in our valley and um, our valley is only so big right and um, for them to construct this highway and having all other alternative options and the tribes requested those other alternative options to be used instead of this area uh, the MLDs of this project the most likely descendants you know the Lone Pine Paiute Shoshones this is in their lands down that way this is all of our lands but this is the area right now where they're residing and they informed them. There's family burials that they were aware of that were in this vicinity in this area. And they told them there's going to be many more, you know, of our people there. And all of our input apparently fell on deaf ears. That is not tribal consultation, you know, where two parties walk away in some kind of cooperative agreement. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's not how it's been handled. It's only their agreement. It's only what they decided and they approve. And due to them having a right-of-way, that's another thing to push off. So all these governmental laws, NAGPRA, you know, all, the, all these laws that we have in place to protect our resources and our burials, it falls away from that right-of-way because they, you know, because of what they have as a lot. So anything like a vandalism, 
um, ARPA violations, you know, for archaeological, you know, of our of our items out there that are destroyed by a person, you know, there's ARPA violations. There's things that could be done by the law, but unfortunately, the government had it set perfect to where these laws do not apply to right-of-ways. They could come mm. and destroy what they want because they have that permit in their hand, and for them to treat us like this of our people, of what we're trying to say, and, and fail to negotiate and work appropriately with us is wrong. That's why I think as First Nations people, we need to stand up and make our own law that's effective, that bypasses these sort of laws that didn't have our input, you know, when they were first established, you know. Okay. And um, they didn't ha- yeah, so. Janelle, you know, whenever, as Native people, we hear you know, because I think we have so much confidence in some of these laws like NAGPRA and other issues. And then when you tell us, and we're hearing stories now in which there's workarounds, in which bureaucracies and governments can work around those laws and get exceptions and get um, exemptions and whatnot to move forward with projects or build. It's it's really, really concerning for all of us. So I also want to ask you, I mean, where does the project stand now? It's It's been halted, but, I mean, what are they waiting? I would imagine they're going to press to, to continue. What's the timeline here? They're trying to continue. That's where we're going to meet with the Caltrans director of Caltrans, um, Tony Tavares, this Friday with our tribal leadership. And uh, that's going to occur this Friday. But also we've had NAGPRA thrown in our face that it does not apply. And what so exactly is, is such a, why exactly does NAGPRA not apply? Because I think a lot of our listeners, myself included, would benefit from learning that. Um, I'll let Kathy speak on that. Okay. Kathy, please chime in. Um, yeah, we were told when, when uh, they found some, disturbed some new human remains, and I said, I was using NAGPRA, did this happen, did this happen? And they said, well, actually, we don't have to. Uh, NAGPRA doesn't apply in this situation. And I was like, I kind of let her go on. And then the next day, I was talking with our tribal liaison for Caltrans. And I said, and Danelle was there. And I said, can you explain that to both of us? Because we don't understand why NAGPRA doesn't apply. And she says, oh, NAGPRA is only for curation facilities. And this is a known uh, archaeological site. So it doesn't apply here. We don't have to follow it. And I was like, that's not even true. And, and But they're always twisting their word and saying one thing and doing another. They're trying, all these laws don't fit. They're, they're, don't fit. They're trying to say they're using public and private land and federal land. And even though it's all Caltrans land or, mm-hmm. or Caltrans right away, which is the case on, on BLM land. And that's what this is the first time we've had every, any, anything when their $7 million was held over their head, they agreed to shut down the project in the area of concern until an acceptable solution was obtained. And so okay. this is the first time we've been able to have actually stop them until they actually talk to us and listen to us. We'll see how it goes this Friday. And Kathy, who is your legal counsel, or, or do you folks have legal counsel? And if so, what are they telling you? We have never had legal counsel in this whole thing. We've talked to several agencies and people, and they kind of listen, and then they kind of back off. 
<clears throat> just recently, Lone Pine Tribe retained California Indian Legal Service. So they are mostly trying to learn and get up to date right now and being that extra listening ear and a witness because they always keep changing their story and even the notes from a meeting don't match what happened at the meeting. So they've kind of changed their tune since we got legal help and um, hopefully we'll get some more here and then um, and with more eyes and ears on it because they just keep changing the story. Mm -hmm. Danielle, I want to go back to you. What would you like to see happen? What what type of solution? What do you want? What we would really wanted was that whole area to be left alone and another area to be chosen, like the tribe suggested over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, is there any compromise though? Because I imagine I mean, they've built a lot of this road already. They've invested a, a lot of money and a lot of time and effort. Are you willing to compromise at all if they're willing to meet you halfway with some of these issues? It's it's so difficult out there. It's so difficult out there. We just held a ceremony for about 44 burials out there, and um, it was really moving. We had multiple tribes out there. All the all the tribes recognized within this project, within the unfortunate programmatic agreement. You know, we were all out there. And um, it would have been nice if they could have just um, kept, if they wanted a four-lane so bad, but they told us the reasons why, too, but it would have been nice for them if they could have just widened the highway that they have now, but they wanted to save a, a man-made, um, oh, gosh, I forgot what that what the term is for it, but um, it would have been nice if they could have just widened it, the highway, to make a four-lane but they always have an excuse. Um, every option we gave them, they had an excuse of why not. And in this area right now, it would have been nice if they could have at least put it as a um, a southbound highway, just a two-lane up there, because it could have avoided a lot of resources, a lot of burials, a two-lane, instead of a new four-lane, and utilize the existing Highway 395 as a northbound lane. That would have been... That would have been great, but they said now the design's too far along, and then it's a, it's a, um, it's going to be a speedway now. You know how they stated, and that's not doable. Mm -hmm. But right now, the two miles, come on, you took ten, you took ten miles already. Work with us, give us this last two, three miles. Right. You know, right. that's what I would like to see. We've given up so much out there. We've had so many of our resources. Um, I'd say vandalized. They say it's an accident. One area is totally marked off with milling stones, totally flagged off, tape and everything around it to cover it, you know, to show that this is a sensitive area. And the people that came by to hydro seed with that fluorescent green hydro seed that they put alongside highways to grow plants and stuff, well, they put it and they sprayed all of those milling stones on that whole side, all fluorescent green all over it and it was clearly marked off this is what we have to deal with our sites dis dis desecrated mm -hmm. even when we tell them no they still do that even knowingly when it's marked off with clearly with tape and um, posts you know to keep it to show the operators sensitive area 
it still gets destroyed. Okay. Danielle and Kathy, we're going to move on now to, to learn more about uh, this development in Florida. But before we do, uh, on behalf, I think, uh, of all of our listeners, uh, we really applaud your efforts there with your tribal communities and everything that you folks are doing there to uh, to advocate on behalf of your ancestors and uh, and of your land. And anybody listening today, if what you just heard uh, from both Kathy and Danielle, if it ticks you off learning about this highway project, let us know. Voice your comments on the air. That's what we're here for, Native America Calling. Give us a call now, 1-800-996-2848. Talk to either Kathy or Danielle or tell us what you feel. What are you thinking with regard to what you've heard today so far with this project? And with that, I, I now want to go to Robert Rosa, who again is joining us from Florida. He's president of the American Indian Movement Florida chapter. And Robert, tell us now about this Brickell neighborhood project there in Miami. We understand that it's controversial. It's uh, built on remains in a, of an old settlement. Tell us more about it. Yes, um, it's a builder named uh, George Perez, a uh, developer. Um, he tore down buildings that were already on a site. This is um, but maybe a block away from the Miami uh, Circle site. Now, he plans on, well, there's two lots. There is 77 Southeast 5th Street and the adjacent lot, which is uh, 444 Brickle. Um, he's already pillaged and stole everything, including remains, um, out of the 77 um, Southeast site. Um, the problem we're having is the law 872, which is a state law, um, which allows, you know, anything that is found besides a burial, which the NAGRA pr protects, um, is considered the developers or the landowners. So, therefore, the only thing that... Um, they have to consult on are the remains and anything found um, around it, any sacred items, any burial uh, items. Um, other than that, um, he gets it. He's also, his wife owns a museum. Um, so now he's going to benefit off of, um, you know, our relations, uh, remains and, and sacred items. So um, we're Today, there's another hearing. Um, we did get um, the Historic Society to put up for um, put up to uh, for one site to be historic. Um, and then the other one, it is under question since they already pillaged it. Um, they're not going to be able to build on certain part of it, but he is fighting that and he has to come up with a plan that suits the historical societies uh, of the city uh, needs. So, uh, but that's uh, where we're at at the moment with this one, not to mention there's other ones, uh, Jupiter, they're planning on drilling in the Everglades. There's many other things that, that they are just allowing, regardless of um, consultation, um, to the Seminoles or the Mikasuki, uh, let alone the Oklahoma um, Seminoles as well. Robert, what do you, 
you know or what do we know about the settlement that existed at one time on this land? What can you tell us about it? Um, well, what they found so far, and it's been published and it's public knowledge, um, is the site is 7,000 years old, and um, it goes way back. Another problem with it being 7,000 years old, um, in which they are the Tequista Indians of Miami. Um, as you know, when the colonizers came over, um, they would meet um, the Cacique de Chief and um, then called the whole people of that area, whomever they met, um, which was probably Tequista. Nonetheless, um, so they, they're there, the site is 7,000 years old. It's part of the Miami Circle, which makes it a sacred site. Um, there have been um, sacred items found and, and that aren't part of the, the burial remains since it was already had a building upon it. Um, so everything was already shifted, but okay. that sacred item is, is, is given to the developer. Okay. We're going to have to take another break. We'll be right back, folks. Did you know that there could be a silent killer inside your home? You may know it, carbon monoxide. It's a poisonous gas that can't be seen or smelled, yet it can kill a family in a matter of minutes. You can protect yours by installing carbon monoxide alarms throughout your home. Find more on the dangers of carbon monoxide and additional safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. We're hearing about concerns over the development of a luxury high-rise that unearthed human remains and artifacts belonging to the Tequista people in Florida. Call us at 1-800-996-2848 to share your thoughts on that topic. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. We're talking now with Robert Rosa. He's with the Florida chapter of AIM. And Robert, tell us, when exactly did AIM become involved with this Brick Hill neighborhood issue, and what's the strategy going forward? Well, we we just recently got involved. This has been going on for two years, but they had it basically under wraps. And um, we found out when uh, somebody got uh, poisoned from there because there's contaminated soil. Um so that's how I found out, and then I uh, immediately uh, messaged appropriate people before I proceeded, and um, and here we are. And what is the the? I mean, earlier we heard from both Kathy and Danelle, and and they got this project shut down at least temporarily. This highway project. Are you folks looking to accomplish something similar, or is just? having them work around some of these remains in these sites that have been uncovered? Well, what's the plan? Yeah. The elders, they want to preserve. Um, The elders we spoke with, they want to preserve. Um, They don't want um, four, four brickle to be torn down or any, um, anything done to it. They want it as a green space. Um, like I said, uh, there there are problems with that, um, but that that is what we're shooting for. We we got them. We took pictures. We saw them using backhoes to dig, 
and and shift for for everything. But you know, in a in um archaeological setting, back holes are are not good when there's remains. So we got them shut down twice. Um, and then they they OSHA shut them down twice as well for the contaminated soil. Um, so right now with seven seven, they ended up using a um, mechanical shifter um, to do the contaminated area um, and, and dig more. But as far as brickle, we are still fighting it. We don't want it touched. Um, that is what I've been told. That's what I'm going to shoot for. And um, I'm just going to be the biggest pain in the butt that they've ever seen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All righty, Robert. Well, thank you for, for joining us today. And let's go now to Martha Tommy, who's also down in Florida, who's involved very closely with this Brickell neighborhood development. Martha, tell us, when did you first become involved with the project? Hmm. I started from Micanope, went to Jupiter. And then I'm trying to get, trying to be with Robert Rosa and um, probably about a couple of years. And what drew you? What 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 got you interested, passionate about this issue? Well, uh, in Seminole, I have to acknowledge my ancestors in the burial mountain where we can't be coming to destroy our burial mountain that makes because. I've been saying with Robert here for a long time. I won a couple of battles uh, over the burial house, but I'm very interested in this brickle because billionaires seem to be just because they're gonna owe that money. It don't it don't matter to us Native Americans because we better protect the land and the ancestors. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about it. And I'm a little under the weather, but I'm hanging in there. Um, yeah, I, it just kind of made me more humble when I first started. Uh, it was, uh, I didn't think I was ever going to involve the government. So, I've been staying with Robert and the American Indian Movement Alliances. Uh, we've been doing pretty good. Uh, all we got to do is voice our, our concerns about this Rico project. And hopefully everything will turn if we just keep praying that everything will stop. And Martha, if if things don't go your way and this luxury high rise it gets built, what's that gonna mean for you and some of these other folks that are involved in this fight? Well you well if you sit back and you look at it and they're trying to, you know, do construction right there in the middle of Miami, that's gonna uh, bring corruption to the neighborhood, like traffic be jammed up, and you know they need to think about things like that because I'm pretty sure the the residents of that community wouldn't want that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that. Um, and th- these are luxury high rises, so these are like high dollar, expensive apartments. Um, I mean, tell us just a little bit about that part of Miami. What does it look like? And and what kind of activities down there now? Well, we got our, uh, uh, I'm originally north of the Lake Okeechobee, so I don't really go down there much. But um, I noticed uh, the uh, the millionaire or billionaire brought a meeting to us, and he was just trying to 
get young generation to back him up. But I kind of feel like that's kind of very odd because you're teaching these young, this young group of uh, college students to rob a grave. And why would you come over here and, and destroy our land when you're from a different country? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier, Robert mentioned uh, this tribal community, the Tequesta people. Now, are, are your Seminole people, are you descended from, from the Tequesta people, or is this a, a different tribal history there? I'm, uh, I'm with the Seminole tribe. Okay. And what's the cultural uh, connection there between the Seminole and this site? Well, I can only say I can only speak for myself because I've been trying to reach out to my people, and I reach out to the historical building in Big Cypress, and they were telling me that um, that the state is affiliated with it, that we didn't have no say-so. But being me, um, I just like to not go the, the other way and try to support them, but just try to stay grounded to what we're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other Seminole communities there in Florida are are you folks all united on this issue, or does it is it especially important there for for certain groups, the Brighton Reservation, Big Cypress, as you mentioned? I'm from Brighton, and I don't know. I can't like I said, I can't speak for everybody else, but I've been standing by myself, trying to get people involved. But you know, they do other things and they live in their life, but. This is where we're supposed to respect our ancestors because if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be here, even any of our elders. Mm-hmm. So they need to look at things like that. But I've been trying to get some people stand with me, but it's they come, but they don't stick to it. Okay. But that's just my opinion. All right. I want to go back to Robert Rosa now. And Robert, earlier I asked um, the folks in California if they'd be willing to compromise or, or w- what type of possible solution they could envision. And I want to ask you the same question. I mean, what what could happen? What could this developer do in order to placate some of these concerns and ultimately build something that everybody can agree with or at least accept? Like I said, um, the elders stated they wanted a green space. So um, as far as 4-4 Brickle, uh, we can't move on that. Um, On the other side, however, we we do want everything returned. Um, There are stipulations that, that, you know, since they've already basically raped it, that, that we have put forth and suggestions we have put forth. Um, in regards to it being public as well as, um, you know, uh, adequate displays and, um, and so forth. Um, that's as far uh, we're going on that one because we came in late in the game before the dig, um, mm-hmm. and they did that purposely. They started in the time of COVID. So, um, you know, the, the, the hearings, they put up the notice, but they didn't put it out to as well as everybody should get. Okay. Um, and Robert, these remains that have been uncovered, the artifacts, the objects, where are they? Who Who is in possession of those items and how are they being handled? Um, first, it was Paleo West. Then it's um, Bob. Now it's Bob Carr. Um, both are being sued um, by fellow archaeologists from getting... Um, contaminated and them not telling them about the uh, contamination there. 
Um, but uh, they currently, there are some in the building at 444 Brickle. Um, state archaeologists won't disclose where the human remains are. Um, but, you know, who's to say he could probably have it at his museum for and um, be doing tests while all this is going on before they get reinterred. So, but the state archaeologist um, does state that, uh, you know, I did confirm that most of the artifacts are in 4-4 Brickle office building, and um, the rest are, their remains are within a college or his museum. Okay. And how do folks feel about that? I mean, is there an effort to try and claim or, or take possession of any of those objects or items? Or because it's private land, is that not an option? I mean, what's the workaround here? Well, the Mikasuki, you know, haven't put in their input yet, except for Betty. And Betty, speak, you know, is speaking for herself as well as the tribe. Um, but um, they want it reinterred at the site. They don't want it to be, um, as usual, reinterred somewhere else undisclosed, I cannot say. Um, and that's what usually will happen is they'll get, you know, if there's a mishap, you know, from, you know, lines that they get, you know, um, without any knowledge and they come across bones, they'll get reinterred somewhere else. Um, and that's, what the Seminole tribe wanted to do is reinter it somewhere else. But okay. um, at the moment, it is looking like they're going to be, uh, they're going to listen to the Miccosukee tribe and reinter it at the site. Okay. And Robert, working there with the Florida AIM chapter, have you been vo- been involved in, in similar struggles or issues in the past? And, and if so, I mean, how have those gone and, and how much, power or influence do tribes have in situations like this? Because listening to our show today, listening to, to how um, these folks have had to deal with some of these issues in California and now Florida, it's really discouraging uh, to, to hear how these large companies or government projects can just pretty much roll over indigenous interests. Yes, it, it is. You know, they use the loopholes like they're, they're worse than politicians. Um they take every loophole and they, they, they find it and they weave right through it. And um, that's including NAGPRA. And um, then they have the state law here, which is 872, um, which was actually um, put in. Um, I can't remember what year, but they um, revised it before passing it. And they, it was supposed to involve indigenous communities here. And um, but before they passed it, they revised it. I wasn't there for that event, so I can't speak much of it. Um, But that law, you know, was supposed to give more protection and more say to um, Miccosukee, uh, Seminole Tribe of Florida, as well as Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to Danielle Gutierrez, who's in Big Pine, California. And Danielle... You know, I'm thinking of people that might be listening today, and maybe they've had a similar issue on their tribal lands, or, or there's a construction project going in. I mean, what do you tell other tribal people with regard to controversial development projects such as these? Right at the beginning, when you hear about it, 
you need to be involved, um, even if you have to knock down doors. <laughs> because once they start making those designs without your input, they're just going to rail right, railroad right through these areas, these lands, these sacred landscapes. Um, fortunately, we've been able to, to the best of our ability, protect our burials. Um, we want to leave them as they are, undisturbed. Um, and we, we're, we're not in, you know, there's no, our people never had to re-intern our burials, you know. Once, once, once we take care of them, that's where they're at, and not to be disturbed, not to be bothered. And with these agencies coming through and their way of thinking of disrespect, it's hard. It makes it hard because of our traditional teachings and how we are supposed to protect our burials and, and keep them away from harm. And now somebody with a permit could come through and do what they want. Um, like the gentleman said before in Florida, they take them, you know. Um, luckily, those that, that uh, law is coming through where, you know, they got to give back those you know, the remains, the museums and such. So that's, that's helpful right now because there's a lot of our people that need to come home in these museums and in these curation facilities. Um, but there's there's a better way as human beings to treat other human beings. And for them to not treat us the injustice that our people have had since they came onto our lands is destructible. There's no respect. And now that needs to change. So I think right now we're bringing that justice back, and we're going to stand here as best as we can. We got an online support group, too, for letters of support going. Um, Kathy knows that, that address. Um, but we got things moving to help us to receive letters. Um, it's called um, Caltrans Change Your Plans. Um, and it's we're trying our best. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone who joined us today, uh, learning all about these controversial construction projects in California and Florida. If you like today's conversation, folks, let us know on social media. Give us a shout out on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. Engage with us. And thank you again to our four guests, Kathy Bancroft, Danelle Gutierrez, Martha Tommy, and Robert Rosa. Tune in to Native America Calling again tomorrow as we spotlight a selection of both large and small tribal endeavors that help keep tribal economies humming. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your day. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, 
commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.